What's going on, folks? It's your boy again, Dr. Sean Thomas here back in the building. I just want to remind you that we are doing a special event for Black History Month. We are doing the BMT for BLM. Be more today for Black Lives Matter. We have joined with the ASALH, the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. In 1915, they are the founders of Black History Month. And for the month of February, we're doing a fundraiser run from February 1st to February 28th. Every single day, you can run a four-mile run with us virtually or in person on February 21st. $10 will go directly towards the ASALH to continue to help them educate us about our history, about our family, about our culture. Uh, You can also donate more if you don't want to do the race at all or donate more if you are running the race. But from February 1st until the 28th, we'll be doing this fundraiser run for them, running together virtually or in person in Brooklyn on the 21st. CBMoreToday.com for more details and sign up today. Thank you so much for joining us with Black History Month and let's continue to be great. Our ancestors are great. Our history is great. Let's continue to share that with the rest of the world. Peace. Think of the difference between an iPhone video and a Sundance film. Camera audio versus a studio track. A novice or someone with experience. Sure, each has their place, but which will have maximum impact? Summer Shower Productions, a Black-owned, woman-owned production company built to create valuable and inspirational content for you. Whether it's a promotional video, a short film, interviews, event photography, or utilizing our extensive editing and post-production tools to take your already captured content to the next level. We always bring creativity, integrity, and passion to every project we produce. So, consider Summer Shower Productions for your next project. Let's build something great together. What's going on, folks? It's your boy back in the building, Dr. Sean Thomas here, episode 46, season two of the Be More Today show. We're back, we're back, we're back in the building, and we're in Black History Month, folks. I gotta say, it's good to be here. It feels nice. It feels right, right? Uh, we're celebrating all kinds of stuff this month. I'm bringing some power-packed people to the show this month, and before I get started, again, thank you for following us and watching us Be More Today. Uh, BeMoreToday.com is blowing up in all kinds of ways with my book, podcast with our workouts we're continuing to put things out there good content um our 40-day challenge is ending very soon uh we started in january with a 40-day challenge to kick things off and it's been an amazing journey watching people uh uh progress through the 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 stages of change with me from january 1st up until now so if you follow us during this journey thank you so much and if you did not you can always go back and listen to my my little clips on be more today show uh i did daily uh Summers in my book every single day from January 1st until the, the 40th of, of that, 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 that transition. So um, continue to follow us and just move forward with it. And again, check YouTube for all our workouts. We're on there every single day doing great things and inspiring others to stay virtually active. So uh, if you caught any of my workouts this year, I appreciate you and your time. It is right here at my heart. All right. Um, right now, the Be More Today show is actually heard in 30 countries. So we're moving forward and we continue to grow every single day. So thank you so much for your support and my supporters financially who continue to do so. I appreciate you even more. So thank you. Thank you so, so much. Uh, I want to share something with you real quick. We're actually doing a BMT for BHM. 
Be More Today for Black History Month. We're doing a four-mile challenge. Um, it's actually a fundraiser that we're going to be doing at the end of February. So you hear more things about it if you haven't heard it already, but it's going to be a fundraiser for the Black History Month organization. They actually, the group that actually started Black History Month uh, is an organization, and we're raising money for them through this four-mile uh, fundraiser. So you'll hear more about that next week if you haven't seen flyers already, but continue just to watch us and follow us. We're trying to do big things for this year, folks, and we're trying to be out of the box. Uh, my quote for today is very simple. Remember that box everyone is trying to put you in? There is no lid on it by Ben Jenkins. Uh, folks, this is the year where I want to inspire you just to do things that don't make sense, right? Do things that don't really keep you in that box. We all grew up in a way that uh, we're told to do this and do that and think this way. But so many people, as you see on this show, are doing great things that are outside of the box, that are not really the, the normal or typical thing that we that we do, right? Um, some of us have gone to school, some didn't go to school, and success has been on both ends. So I just want to challenge you just to think outside the box, just to not be your regular person. If you think that you're not happy where you are in your nine to five or your grad school program or wherever you are, you don't have to stay there, right? You can be outside the box to do greater things. And I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying do any of those things. I'm just saying think outside the box and don't hold limits. Don't let limits hold you back. That's the one thing I think that we as a people have been very, very good about. There have been things that have held us back in various ways, but we as a people, people of color, right? Black and brown people have continued to push that limit, to open the box and to start new trends for the entire world. So let's make this a month where we say, you know what, we're going to stick outside of our comfort zone. We're going to open up that box because the sky is the limit and we'll go out, and get out there and make uh, every single day a great chance for us to be better and be more. My guest on the show today embodies that uh, to the T. She's a good friend of mine, an old friend of mine, uh, all the way back from Choke with Mary Hall, right? Forever True to Golden Blue. Her name is Chantel Richardson. And Chantel Richardson is the co-founder of Trim Notions LLC, a premier agency providing consultation for designers seeking the best resources in exceptional fashion trim. Chantel's fashion industry experiences are vast from having uh, once overseen many factories in India to consulting designer brands on luxury European textiles. These experiences have inspired her to once again see NYC as the center of fashion innovation. Now, Chantel studied at Fashion Institute of Technology and holds a BA in English and Spanish from Tufts University. She began her fashion career as a stylist and assistant designer at Nika NY, where she later became their production manager, which found her at their production facility in India for six months. In 2009, Chantel launched her own line, Chantelle. She was featured in NY Fashion Week four years straight, selling celebrities such as Raymond Simone, while simultaneously working full-time at an NYC-based trim company. This led to the launch of her own trim company, and as the co-founder of Trim Notions in 2015, she's helped generate over $2 million in revenue since its inception and has some of the best fashion brands as her clients. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pets included, please welcome to the stage my friend, from Choke Rosemary Hall, Forever True to Golden Blue, Chantel Richardson. Cheeks, what's going on? Oh, I was wondering if I could be like, hey, Johnny T. <laughs> but if you said Cheeks, then I can say Johnny T. Thank you so much for that introduction. That was really wonderful and like always makes me blush to hear my friends be proud of me. And um, just hearing the intro um, to the show, you know, and thinking outside the box, like, I was like, wait, did he write that for me? Because, yeah, that definitely explains my career choices and just um, 
my little life path and journey up until this point has been very out of the box. But I'm happy to be here. Congratulations on your book. I'm so proud of you. I mean, it's amazing and inspiring and really, really cool to see all that you're doing um, and expanding on it. So congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate you. You at my book launch. So that was just awesome <laughs> to see you there. I hadn't seen you in so long before then. So to see you there just made the night even more special. And uh, I know I had to have you on the show at some point in time just to highlight the work that you've been doing. Um, and just thank you so much for being here. Really, really appreciate it. Awesome. And I heard you say that this is the 46th episode. 46? That's Yo, right. we have President 46, like the 46th president coming in. It's totally auspicious. This is crazy. That's I love right. number stuff like that, too. I like looking at like little weird patterns and numbers, but that's kind of cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. 45 was not the best number in the world. 46 just sounds like Right? No, no. Yeah, I like being episode 46. It works. That works. Exactly. <laughs> so, Chantel, you know, I call her, I call you Cheeks because, you know, we went to high school together. You have these cheeks that, you know, were just so cute in high school. And um, <laughs> still, that was my nickname for you here. ever since then. You still have them, clearly, with dimples and everything. And, you know, we sang in a gospel group together in high school called Milagros. Um, we actually ran track together. You know, we did a lot of things in high school together. So, um Chelsea. Yes, Calsa. Yes. Oh my so God. Afro Latino Student Alliance. So, yeah. Yes, yes. You know, it's, it's funny because that was really the first time I even thought about or learned about race as a social construct. It was really in Calsa. I had never really even talked about it or thought about it until until then. And just recognizing those means that we had, they seemed at the time very trivial to me because, you know, we're in this like small environment, not really in, interacting with the rest of the world. But we, the thing we talked about were very, very serious and clearly apply to the rest of the world today, even today. So I appreciate mm-hmm. all those meetings with Kelsa and that, that, that fellowship there and the camaraderie and the support. Um, it really, it really carried with me throughout the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad to say that, you know, the children at the school are still going through those issues. Like they still are battling issues of, um, you know, race and discrimination, uh, whether it be from like the outside community or even internally people really not understanding or having that kind of like empathy that allows you to be in someone else's shoes or in someone else's skin, you know, to think of yourself in their position of what they're, where they're coming from. So I think with, you know, how charged the political atmosphere has been over the past four years, it's been really tough for those kids because there was a time where, you know, I've been really involved with the school. It was a time where, you know, I felt like the kids were kind of, you know, just having it easier than we had it somewhat. You know, like there seemed to be like less racial issues. And I had even some some of the teachers had even commented like maybe the camaraderie of like a Calsa seemed to be like dissipating because the kids didn't think they needed it as much. And unfortunately, that seems very short lived because we're right back to the point where now, you know, they're like asking questions about like how to deal with this kind of stuff and they're they're even experiencing things that might be um you know more stressful than than what we went through you know so it's you know it's it's interesting but i am glad that they have those services there and the school actually is very cognizant of those things and trying to provide like you know, health services, like mental health services to make sure that you know they're they have an outlet for someone to talk to or um you know, asking like alumni like us to become more involved in, ter- in terms of ment- mentorship and things like that, which is always really important and um, a great way to like, you know, give back and 
and just connect with that that moment. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, we always try to give light to these schools like Trevor Murray Hall, our, our alma mater. And, you know, I, I if you listen to the show at all, I talk about the show probably every other episode. To some extent. <laughs> my book is all over the place. Yeah, because it really was a part of, of who I am and, and who we both are. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll continue just to support those institutions and everywhere around the world. I mean, hopefully with this new administration, um, the mindset of the country will be different. Um, I even saw some statistics that ever since they um, banned our number 45 from texting, that just literally the uh, uh, an amount of information that was on the internet that was false um, decreased by like a certain percentage. And like those kind of oh things so quick, you know what I mean? So hopefully as we move forward into this next year, new administration, things will get a little better for everyone. And that will trickle over to, you know, how our schools and how our nation will respond to racial injustice and racism. And, you know, that is pretty impressive. And it's like, you know, they give that stat when like you're a smoker. I think like within 13 days, like your lungs return to like normal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So maybe this is like America. Maybe we yeah. can recover that quickly. Exactly. <laughs> My lungs can return right. to normal. Exactly. <laughs> so at Chica, I know you've been everywhere. COVID-19 has been the talk of the town all over the place. I, I shared a couple episodes ago, I got the vaccine. And um, oh, nice. I didn't know what your status was in terms of COVID-19, how it affected your life, your job, where you are, um, if you're still working right now. What's, what's your current update right now? So currently, you know, I'm quarantining at home in Brooklyn. My um, partner actually works for the MTA and he just got his uh, vaccine yesterday. So, you know, there's some relief there just kind of watching now to make sure, you know, he doesn't get fall sick or anything like that. You know, I think he's been pretty okay. And so it's interesting in thinking about that, but, you know, also trying to get my parents signed up now that New York has opened up the restrictions from, um, to include seniors over 65. You know, I think that's kind of like where I've been on websites for the past two days, trying to see if there's any appointments. But I mean, COVID, um, it definitely has been a very strange time as it has been for all. I don't know if I have any other adjectives to describe it that people haven't said already. Uh, personally, for me, I think it started hitting, affecting me or becoming present in my mind a little sooner than <clears throat> it might have for everyone else, just because I do have a fashion business and we're manufacturing goods overseas in Asia and in Italy mainly. So when it started hitting China, um, you know, we were concerned about like our factories over there, concerned about the people we've worked with them for like 15 years plus, you know, and these are people who I know and just being concerned about them. Like, how, how are you living over there? So like starting to have that kind of worry where you're just like, okay, wait, what's going on? You know, not really knowing much. Um, so it, it did affect our business and we tried to pivot and say, okay, well, we can't manufacture goods in Asia, but we still have these Italian manufacturers and resources for people who um, can make that kind of switch. And then it hit Italy, like, you know, really, really hard. So it's kind of just like this place where we, we, you know, as a business owner, try to be nimble, you always have to pivot, you always have to think of, okay, you know, you might have a plan, but you have to be ready to like switch on a dime almost um, to be able to, you know, maintain the success of your business. So doing that and then just seeing it hit like each location that we were manufacturing and it was kind of bizarre and 
definitely uh, gave me some thoughts about fashion and and what to do and things like that. And um, so, yeah, it, it was it definitely slowed down. And I didn't think that, um, you know, fashion was something to be concerned about when people were like fighting for their lives. So we tried to also um, work on providing PPE for, um, you know, like New York City or getting involved with groups. And we had some some success doing that, but it was really hard with all the kind of red tape and things that Trump was doing in terms of like messing with customs and stopping masks from getting in. So it just became very, very hectic. So, um, you know, we took a, a little bit of a step back and just tried to maintain the customers that we had and, and, and you know, do what we could just as any other business did. Um, luckily we did apply for the PPP programs where we were able to get some kind of funding. And I felt very lucky in that sense because a lot of Black business owners weren't able to get that kind of access to the first round of PPP funds. So um, doing that actually helped us like sustain the business a little bit somewhat. It wasn't tons, but you know, every little bit helps. And um, yeah, so that's kind of what happened with our business. Actually, funny enough, now it's, it's actually on the rebound. We just did a, um, like, uh, provided some services for Cash App. They launched a clothing line. I don't know if you've seen it. It's no, super funky. It's pretty funky and cute. Um, so, like, interesting projects like that. Like, all these people who we wanted to work with actually are coming to us now. And um, the business is growing kind of sh- shockingly. And so it's kind of like, hmm. It's, I, I look at it with a very... Um, you know, like pinch me kind of thing. Like, is this really happening? Wait, I wanted to work that person forever. And they're now they're emailing me like, this is great. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. If, you know, they say it takes about five years for a business to kind of like take off. I don't know if we're just hitting that point or if it's also, um, I think people maybe recognizing that we might be a black owned company. We haven't really promoted that much, but, um, you know, as they know us and know that we're, the owners, um, you know, recognizing it's a black owned company and kind of that whole awareness that has been coming about. And I think we're in a very interesting space where you don't have a lot of manufacturers, um, uh, you know, companies that are black owned that are manufacturing goods. It's always like a designer or a photographer or a stylist, something like that. So we're very much on the unglamorous side of it. <laughs> it's just very niche. And so I don't know if that's part of it, but I would think all of these things kind of play into it. You know, they like say opportunity, what is it? Luck is when opportunity meets preparation. So, you know, I do feel like we've been preparing ourselves to be this like service for people and then as the opportunities come, we can like rise to the challenge. So, you know, I do feel lucky in that sense that the business is, you know, kind of turning itself over because it is our, it's our baby. It's, it's myself and a woman named Facia Turner, who is also a woman of color. She's also from Jamaica. So, you know, we have our little like yardy kind of <laughs> connection and the office. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I think that's it. But yeah, that's kind of where COVID hit me. I mean, in terms of like my family, thank goodness, like most most of my family has been pretty safe. Um, you know, one or two relatives have um, contracted COVID, but luckily have recovered um, pretty fully at this point. And um, yeah, just just really grateful for that that right. part. 
Great. Well, that's a blessing for sure. Um, you know, it's funny, I, as I was reading your bio, um, I remember you talking at Choke that you wanted to be a designer. I remember you talking at Choke that you wanted your own fashion line. And I remember you saying at Choke that you wanted to call it Chantelle. And that was... No way! Yes, that was 1998, <laughs> 99. I remember you saying it. So it's just funny to me that when it actually happened... I wasn't surprised. I'm sure maybe other people were, but I was like, oh yeah, she said she wanted to do that umpteen years ago. Um, so I want to talk about that progression. So I, you know, I saw you at Choke, clearly we graduated, you went different ways, you went to Tufts. And, yeah. um, you know, I saw you at Tufts for either some kind of school performance, I don't remember, some kind of dance show. Maybe one oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Spirit of Color, I think you guys <laughs> are called. Yeah, it's one of those things. Right, right, great. You're a um, team of great. You realize <laughs> the amateur. <laughs> oh, whatever, it's all good. Um, but just t talk to the listeners about your educational background from Tufts to FIT. Um, okay, sure. So, you know, I think as I got into Tufts, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. I thought I was going to be like, in high school, I thought I would be like pre-med. I wanted to be a pediatrician. And then like really being bad at chemistry just kind of like knocked me like out of that, like mm, the science stuff might not be for me. Not that it should have at that time now that I think about it, but it did. And so when I got to Tufts, I was kind of just trying to find like what I wanted to do. And um, I'd always been taking like writing courses. So I started taking more writing courses and, you know, majored in English and a lot of uh, creative nonfiction. So just basically being very descriptive about things that were happening in my life or whatever, or journalism or advertising so those were the kind of like courses that i was taking so, i mean there's not much to the tough experience i mean i went to i went to london for study abroad during tufts and that was amazing where i also still kind of picked up my love for like writing and just like creating and um it was also weird that i actually just became myself again like i think there was a time where you know I was with friends in college and I wasn't trying to be like cool or anything like that, but I just didn't feel like I was myself, like that kind of very assertive, confident leader in my group. I felt like I was kind of just like in the background. I didn't really do a lot of clubs. I didn't do all that kind of stuff. But when I went to London, like all that changed. I was just, it was like a fresh start. So I just kind of started all over again and I started singing I won a talent show while I was out in London. I started writing um, my own songs. So this kind of like creative person that was like just wanting to like be there and be this like kind of artist um, really came out during that, that study abroad. And I also like had a um, class where we were doing set design and it was like one of my favorite classes. And it was really so that's kind of like what Tufts brought out of me is this like kind of creative side and so um from Tufts I went into publishing <laughs> oddly enough and I didn't like my boss I thought she was really awful <laughs> but I was really close to a lot of the other editors that I was working with at this company and one of the editors pulled me into her office and she was like well what's your five-year plan and I said I'm, I'm not really sure and she's like well what do you fall asleep with in your bed at night I was like that's a weird question and then she goes, I, my quite my answer was like fabric and beads. And she was like, well, why don't you think about that? And then like, you know, later on in the week, let's see what your five-year plan might be. And I walked into her office and said, hey, I think I want to be um, 
a stylist so that I could like learn the ropes underneath some people. And then I'd like to have my own collection one day. And that's basically, you know, because that, that's what I knew of fashion, really. So that question actually put me on the track to, um, you know, leaving that company. I saved my money. Like, like you said earlier, don't just quit your job. I kind of did, but like I saved my money um, and then was able to support myself while I was interning at this at Nika, which was this fashion house. And so while I was um, at Nika, I was also taking classes at FIT. So I took classes in styling, I took classes in fashion design. Um, there was also a free course being given by the city and actually teaching pattern making, which is not a skill that they teach a lot anymore. Um, so just really looking for any opportunity to learn about this craft without having to actually matriculate from FIT. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, I already graduated. Um, but yeah, just kind of like soaking it all up and learning on the fly. And that's, what, like you said, what led me to moving from assistant designer intern to assistant designer at Nika and then to production manager in India for six months, like overseeing their factory and working with their pattern makers there to make sure that, you know, things were being made correctly and and getting back to the state in a timely fashion. So yeah, I think I think that covered the question. Absolutely. Sorry. Absolutely. That's an incredible journey. Um and it, it seems like, you know, your, your, your passion for fashion, right, if I will, um, just came out of creativity. And you were very creative and are creative in terms of everything, with singing and all kinds of other things. You were always that, uh, as far as I knew. So it just made sense to apply that to what you're doing now. And in 2009, you started your own luxury label, Women's Wear, Chantelle. So what yeah. was that like? And... Uh, I mean, the name is amazing, Sean. Sean, <laughs> but um, you know what? What? what is I was trying to be fancy. Round? I was trying to be fancy. I was like, I'm not gonna be Chantal. Be Like, I was trying to be fancy. And also, I was working for another company, so I was like, they'll never find me if I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> um, yeah. So I would not recommend starting a fashion label at the height of a recession because if you remember 2008, <laughs> right. <laughs> But I was naive and I was just like, I'm young and I'm just going to do this and I, I can try. And, you know, I just saw I was being a, a stylist or I was actually doing a lot of tailoring for celebrity stylists at the time. And so I was taking apart these really fancy garments to, you know, make alterations on them. And I think seeing the finishings on them just made me be like, you know what, I think there's a way to bring this to a slightly lower, um, what do you call it? Um, you know, pricing model, whatever have you. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, it still wasn't like mass market. Like I wasn't selling things for like 20 bucks or whatever have you. It was like really quality stuff, but I was using like the best and also working with, um, you know, seamstresses in New York, which made me really proud to do that, to be able to try to make something in New York and this like manufacturing hub that was kind of, you know, it's really, it's really small. It's, not a shadow of what it used to be, but it, you know, it, it's tough, right? Um, to like have any kind of manufacturing business like that sustain itself in New York. So, anyways, um, yeah, in 2009, I started Chantelet, and I think uh, I even had like another Chody like help me with my first like uh, photo shoot. Derek Gomez helped me with my first photo shoot. Um, Derek Gomez. <laughs> I was trying to think of the- Yuri Lee was one of my first models. 
<laughs> she's actually started her own clothing line now called Wonky. Oh, so, um, yeah, she just started, she just launched it, I think, two months ago or something like that, or a month ago. So, yeah, my Choke family has always been very encouraging with all my, like, uh, aspirations and my kind of road less traveled. Um, yeah, I, I, I think um started my own clothing line. Although I wasn't like an FIT graduate and I had just you know, taken some courses, I think I always had this kind of, like you said, like a passion for it, like this curiosity about it that sometimes when you are like, let's say classically trained in a endeavor, you lose that kind of adventure spirit to approach it, right? Where you're like really being creative about the solutions that you're coming up with. Like I had to figure out okay, you know, how do I, how do I make this actual shape that I want? Like, how do I communicate that to my seamstresses? Like this thing that no one had, you know, done before that they hadn't done before and things like that. So I think, um, you know, also being really appreciative of all the fashion that came across my purview, like, you know, in fashion school, I think you become very used to critiquing things and be like, oh, that that, that clothing line is ugly. And my favorite saying was that, like, no clothing line is up. There's always something special about that. It may not be my cup of tea, but there's always something I can like. I can see what they were doing. I can see what they were trying to do because that's how I would hope that people approach my line. And you know, my line was really supposed to be for women who were in the career space, like having all these friends who were kind of like in this like lawyer, doctor, finance um, space, but needed that reminder that you're still an adventurer at heart. There's still this kind of person in there that, you know, is cheeky, is fun, is a little mischievous or whatever have you. So I have these very classic bodies, but then like hides kind of detail, like the lining would be like a bright hot pink on this very classic black coat, just to kind of give a woman like a reminder that she kind of has this little yeah, I'm, I'm that, I'm that woman, you know? So um, that was kind of the, the whole goal of the collection and it went pretty well. I, I had some success selling in Soho and Southampton. Um, just a couple of people did about eight fashion shows. And um, yeah, in, in 2000, I would say like 2013 ish, I just kind of decided it was really rough. <laughs> it was totally self-funded. Um, and I wanted to just uh, focus a little bit more on how I could use my experience help others at that point, you know, um, and just, and just find a different way about it. Mm. And heck, that's what Trim Notions ended up being. Right. So talk to me now about Trim Notions. What exactly is Trim Notions and uh, how did this start with you and your co-founder? Okay, cool. So we actually worked together in a, in another space. We were hired at the same time and we worked together for about seven years before we started this started Trim Notions in the same kind of business. And Trim Notions, is, it's, it's Notions, K-N-O-W-T-I-O-N-S. So it's like Notions, very punny. <laughs> and our tagline is keep you in the know. Um, and basically we sell and manufacture anything on a garment that is not considered fabric, you know? Um, and even now we've moved into the fabric space, but initially it's anything like a zipper, a button, uh, embroidery, a really cool logo, anything like that. So that's kind of where it's a very niche market. I had numerous clients be very shocked 
when we walk into the office because usually they're expecting a little little old white lady to be honest <laughs> because that's just where that business that's who normally runs this kind of business but at some point the old guard has to you know has to turn it into a new guard so I, you know I, I like to think that's who we are and we bring a different flair to it so we definitely brought something more modern to it where you know, we try to push our factories to make things that are a little bit more innovative, that are more sleek, um, more in line with what designers want to manufacture today. And also just kind of saying yes to any challenge that a designer gives us. Some of them have been really difficult and things like something just aren't feasible, you know, but we'll try to just communicate to design what they can do and how we can get close to their vision if it's not totally like physically possible like actual laws of physics do not allow it to, allow it to be possible they still don't want to hear it but I think you know um you know I do feel like a a mentor of sorts to most of my clients who are like younger designers and uh can I provide that kind of deal? Yeah, we, we, we basically just uh, see what a designer wants. We make sure it meets all their sizing standards, make sure it complies with industry standards in terms of not being like, you know, full of lead and toxic for your kids if somebody's chewing on your belt or something like that, like stuff like that that people don't really think about. Um, that's what your notions is. But we are, like I said, we are moving into like fabric um, manufacturing as well as apparel manufacturing so it is kind of coming full circle which mm. is hilarious to me because I was like ah I'll never do a clothing line again but now like I'm actually able to share that knowledge and that expertise with other designers who are starting their line so it's kind of funny yeah so you have the expertise of the manufacturing on this end with the trim and also being a designer so you kind of come with two guns in your pocket, right? I mean, that that's a double sword right there. Yeah, yeah, you're all angles. Um, where where is your, is your office that's located somewhere? Are you guys doing wholesale? How's it work right now for you? There is an office, if you can believe it or not. <laughs> We're actually in the garment center. So right on, um, in Times Square, like two blocks away from Times Square, our office is right there. It's on 40th and Broadway. Um, and so it's not like a ground level store or anything because everything is wholesale. but yeah, that's where we operate out of. We keep all of our samples and take all of our meetings there. I mean, not right now because of COVID. So we've been doing a lot of stuff digitally and virtually, but every once in a while I do have to pop into the office to mm. actually show physical goods because we're making physical things, right? Yeah. So, yeah, right there in the heart of the gar- garment center, trying to keep it alive. That's great. Do you, just out of curiosity, you know, as a Black-owned business, as, as I am also in terms of Be More Today, do you feel mm-hmm. any um, resistance, any any biases that are towards you? I mean, as a Black-owned business, um, but also as a female, right, in, in this in, in area? Because I know you said this is primarily a primarily Caucasian, old Caucasian uh, <laughs> sect, right, that kind of has this thing on lock. But you coming in here, younger, person of color, um, you know, also in New York City, the heart of New York City. Um, are there any kind of biases you've experienced in terms of your company or people uh, yeah. uh, looking at you guys with raised eyebrows? Or I anything? mean, unfortunately, I always feel like my authority is being questioned mm. for anything. Like I've definitely said no to a client and had them just strip all their business away for like one thing of saying no. And it wasn't no, like I don't want to work with you. It was like no this isn't physically possible 
and we don't want to tell you it is and have you, um, you know, suffer on the, in the uh, long, you know, um, you know, and as a result, we don't want to have to suffer as a result when it comes to manufacturing and production. Um, and so that was really hard. And then also production is the not fun part in terms of, you know, there may be something going wrong, something might come out late, something might be um, malfunctioning. And those are never easy conversations to have with a client. But when I do have to have those conversations, I find myself having to be extremely aware of my tone. Um, you know, instead of being very direct, I have to say, hi, and I just want you to know. And just so you know, I'm just saying that, but, you know, and it's just, it's exhausting. It's tiring. I'm like, I just want to tell you that something is wrong and this is how we can fix it. Can we get there instead? But more times than not, even when I had, there was one client who, this woman, she would curse at me all day long, like just curse, just curse on the phone. She would be yelling into the phone from like speakerphone, all that kind of stuff. And when issue arrived, came up and I had to have a meeting with like the big boss, like the CEO of the company, um, the woman had told her that I had an attitude on the phone. And I had to say to her, I said, excuse me, in this meeting, I was like, I, I was like, I really take offense to that, considering that I'm constantly being cursed at by your employee. I never returned that behavior. And they're always yelling at me, as well as hanging up the phone on me. Mm-hmm. And the CEO kind of just stopped and was like, well, you know, like she didn't really acknowledge it, but it, she didn't go any further in that line of questioning because she knew that that was a possibility that that person had been doing it, you know? And so, and it was also like a very, like old school mental way of working. Like that's what they used to do back in the day. It's cursing each other. I'm like, this is not that anymore, you know? And so having, you know, trying to like stand up for myself in that regards was kind of, you know, empowering at that same, but at the same time, like it was something that was common. It wasn't just that company. Like I always heard, like, oh, Chantel was a little bit terse. Or, you know, maybe she had an attitude or a tone. And if, if I ever tried to address it and say, hey, you know, like, what did I say? Like, can, can we talk about this? Like, I really just want to, there would be silence. There would never be like a, you know, they never wanted to actually discuss the matter. And I just thought it was really odd all the times. Like, here I am trying to understand, like, okay, where did my tone go wrong? Trying to be open to feedback as a business owner. You know, but as a business owner, like almost everybody else is your boss. It doesn't, it doesn't really feel like, oh my God, it's just thing like I think the misconception that people have is that you're a business owner and that you make your own rules and you do to a certain degree, but like all your clients are your boss. Like everybody else is your boss. So, you know, I would I would drive myself crazy trying to like write an email where it started to become paralyzing, where I just really felt like paralyzed. Like I take I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour to write an email just to ask for a color swatch because I didn't want it to sound like I had an attitude. So that kind of thing um, was very tricky. And I just had to like, also just get over it, you know, like do my own work to work through it and find like what approach would, would help and stuff like that. I think also just as owning my own business, like reminding people that I was the owner, I think started helping in a sense, you know, that I wasn't just this person who was just a, like, not like just an employee. Like you still shouldn't treat other people's employees that way. But knowing that like, no, I am guiding this business right? and I come with a certain expertise, I think is helpful. 
yeah. to a certain degree. You know? Yeah, so, no, I, I relate. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely there. It's definitely exhausting. And, um, you know, I recommend for people who don't, who are starting their own business to try to get a mentor. I think that's something that we missed out on um, early on in the game. And now we are looking at more services, you know, more opportunities to have that kind of mentorship. But it helps, you know, helps like someone to kind of just, you know, encourage you and look at look at the situation from an outside lens and be able to tell you like, no, maybe your attitude was wrong at that time or say, hey, this is how you can like, you know, um, circumvent that or approach that or address it. Yeah. Um, been through it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because I think about that in my own line of work uh, as a director. Yeah, my, my patients all become my bosses and, you know, it, it, <laughs> it's, it's something that, you know, as, as the main person where they say, who can I speak to? But it's always you, you know, like you said, that anxiety that comes when you have to write that email or send that message or what have you. Yeah, it can be exhausting. Um, it can be yeah. it can be crippling, right? Like, like crippling. You can really just like shut you yeah, down. And you're dealing with people's help. Like what I'm doing is not even that serious. Like it's not, I'm not curing anything. I'm not, you know, things I can only imagine yeah. where you feel like, you know, someone's health is in your hands and like trying to give that kind of service. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the same time, though, you know, business is business and healthcare is a business as well. So um, it, it is what it is. But I think, you know, even in both situations, you need some kind of an outlet. And, you know, for me, it's running, working out, etc. And I'm guessing for you, it's the Resistance Revival Chorus. Now, I've seen you do performances. You guys have been on TV. I've, I've, I've seen all the flyers and events on social media. I'm super proud of it. I know our, our your friend Ali Fenwick is in there as well with you doing yes. something. So just for the listeners, just tell them what it is exactly, how you got involved in it, and why it's so special to you. Well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Definitely the Resistance Revival Chorus, or RRC for short, um, has been amazing. Um, basically, we're a collective of, I would say, 60 to 70 women and non-binary people um, basically singing hope into the world you know we our model is that joy is an act of resistance and that kind of guides a lot of our actions and um you know just endeavors in general so everything kind of comes down to joy the way i met the chorus was at first i saw them at a performance ali introduced me to them at a performance and that was when she was like hey they're actually doing a protest in front of trump tower um Christmas and it's called Caroling for Impeachment. So this was before his first impeachment. And so we went outside in Trump Tower on like the coldest day of the year. Like I remember taking off my gloves and within 30 seconds I had frostbite. Like that's how cold it was. And um we caroled for his impeachment. And it was just having this energy with these women who I didn't even know. And they were just like, you should sing with us. And I was like, really? So, like, long story short, you know, I definitely, um, you know, got in touch with them and said, hey, I really want to sing. And also, at that time, I had been writing music that had a very resistance-based uh, theme, like, talking about police brutality or immigration. And I didn't feel like I had a space for it. So I sent them like, samples of my music, samples of me singing, you know, some of their songs. And luckily, they said I could join because... I would have been heartbroken if I couldn't, <laughs> but it was really cool. I mean, it's been, it's been a whirlwind. We've done things where 
you know, I just couldn't imagine from performing at Carnegie Hall with Carly Simon um, and Deepa Mahal to now. Yesterday, we just debuted a song off of our album, which is called Destroy, um, and it features Deepa Mahal, and she song called Everybody Deserves to be Free and it was featured as part of the kickoff for the inauguration event for um, the Biden-Harris vice presidency, vice presidency. So this whole thing has kind of come to this place where we we, you know, we never thought we'd be a part of something that special and that important, but to kick that off with a song that is really endearing, like it, this, the words are really, are literally like, will you stand up for me? I'll stand up for you and just simple, but like exactly what we need right now is people kind of speaking up for each other and like holding each other up because it's been a long battle. And I think because, you know, from like the civil rights era, we had this period where, you know, you feel like things are getting better. Somehow the conversation between like the older generation and the younger generation gets lost in teaching how to keep fighting. Right. So we are making these strides and almost just existing as being ourselves and being, you know, achieving these things like being in these, um, you know, prestigious schools and prestigious positions feels like part of the fight. And it is. But I think, you know, the way I like to think about it is like if someone's chanting um, during a protest, at some point their voice is going to get tired. Right. So someone needs to pick up the chant. And that's what needed to happen. And so I feel like being part of this collective is just a constant reminder. Like when, you know, some, if someone in the chorus um, who normally fights for like education or is promoting, um, you know, uh, reform to like incarceration and uh, police policies, if they kind of just need a moment to take care of themselves or to re replenish their energy um there's someone else there to pick it up to say okay well i'm doing this this now or i can help do that way so just to see that kind of thing has been really encouraging and really inspires me to step up more and more and to try to use my voice however small it feels to me to really just try to you know try to speak out and try to bring attention to um you know, the things that are important in this world and just um, being better than one another. So, yeah, the Resistance Revival Chorus, is, it's, been, it's been a very um, wonderful kind of escape, like, during these past four years and also during this lockdown, pandemic, quarantine stage. We, we haven't been able to perform much in person with each other, but, um, you know, doing so virtually, we you know, it's still pretty nice to be able to connect and see like smiling faces of so many different women. These women are like activists, like they're not just, you know, singers, like it's, we always say it's activists who are finding their musical voice and professional musicians who are actually finding their activist voice. So it's this really interesting um, group of women who just come together who are really amazing. And I don't, I feel lucky to be around them like all the time. Mm. Do not matter and 
Justice has no face To study war and anger Burns the fabric of our state Sends a message to our neighbors That we've fallen from the fray It's a long road to walk home And I don't know where it is But I hope And when I'm too tired To carry on I don't know if you'll be there
Folks, if you're just joining us, episode 46, season two to be more today's show. I'm here with Chantel Richardson, Cho alumni, co-founder of Trim Notions, LLC, a Black-owned company in New York City. And we're talking about singing, we're talking about activism, we're talking about number 46 and all kinds of fun things. Uh, Cheeks, number one question after this break is, uh, if you could change one thing in the world to make it a better place, I mean, you talked about singing and activism and using your voice to be heard and even using fashion as a way to make people happy. But if you could change one thing in this world to make it a better place, what's the one thing that you would do? Um, one thing I would remove is imposter syndrome. And I guess because it's very near and dear to my heart, like it's a, it's a constant, right? Like as a business owner, just feeling like, am I doing this right? Like, who am I to be doing this? Like, and trying this and all those kind of things. So I think removing a imposter syndrome would up a lot of space for people to be courageous and do the things that will move us forward. Um, but also, on like, I guess not, not a more realistic note, but I would think about that. I would remove, I would really want education to be free. Like, if it can, like, somehow, like, all education to be free. I mean, we have so many resources at our hand now with, like, YouTube and Coursera and different things that you can, like, get a taste of. But, um, for me, just having access to like learning has just been so rewarding. Um, and so this is something that I'll, I'll add to my story. So I, I, during the pandemic, I actually completed a course in data analytics with a company called Galvanize. And um, I learned SQL, Python, Tableau, and uh, just all about coding. So now I'm like a little geeky data girl. <laughs> on top of <laughs> loving fashion but um just being able to use my mind in that way was so powerful during a time where you know my mind was running wild with hearing ambulances up and down the street but it gave me something to like focus on and really um tap into another passion of mine which is looking at how data can be made more human to really um you know, impact what we do and uh, also to eliminate biases in data. Like there's not a lot, there are pe people of color in data, but we need people of color at like higher points in data to really say, listen, you know, that algorithm, that that way that this code is functioning is biased. Like it's, it's you know, it's biased towards a certain people, it's biased towards a certain class, gender, and that happens because people have biases, right? So it's something that you'll never, I don't know, you'll ever really be able to eliminate bias completely, but it's really important because data is governing so many of these companies, like decisions on how, like what markets to target, or even in healthcare, like who gets this kind of service or who gets this kind of attention or um, maybe realizing, you know, just looking at the mortality rate for like black mothers and black babies, there's data around there just to be able to show that there's something going wrong here and this is how we need to address it, right? So um, just being able to have that kind of skill now feels very important. And I'm not sure how it'll fit into the grand scheme of like all the artist journey that I've taken up, up until this point. But I think just knowing that I was able to get that education because it was actually like a scholarship program through the New York, New York City Tech Pipeline, um, where I think 2,700 people applied and like 32 of us got in. But I felt very, 33, 33 of us got in. So I feel very lucky to, you know, 
have gotten that experience and to actually be able to do it now because I was working from home and so I was able to work from home but also do this program from home and remotely. So the universe for you know for me in that in that way is actually pretty pretty um significant and pretty um generous I would say in terms of putting those kind of blessings in front of me um because I needed them. <laughs> I'm enjoying them. Yeah that's amazing. That's amazing. Um so, you know, be more today is, is the phrase. I mean, you are basically embodying that in all ways, right? From data to your fashion stuff to singing and what have you. But be more today is our brand. It's her mantra. It's our motto. You were at the book launch. So you know how we do. And I always ask everybody <laughs> what they think the phrase be more today means to them. So Chantel Cheeks Richardson, episode 46. You hear the phrase be more today. What's the phrase <laughs> today mean to you? Oh my god! I think I need to change my like Facebook and Instagram handles to Chantel Cheeks Richardson now. Like, <laughs> um, be more today. I mean, I think it speaks to a sense of immediacy in terms of. I think we're all realizing that time, um, you know, waits for no one to sound cliche, but it really is something to just take a chance on yourself. I think that's what it really means to me is take a chance on yourself and there's no time like the present. So just do it now. Like there's no need to wait. Like, you know, that, that, um, those, those questions will always be there. Even once you get started on your path, you'll still be asking yourself those questions, but at least like you'll get close to the getting to an answer start today as opposed to tomorrow. So I think, um, just speaking to really honoring, uh, honoring like yourself and realizing that there's just so there's so much more that we are and it doesn't have to be like you know you're curing cancer or something like that it could just be that you took the time to speak to your neighbor and that's like being more today right because that neighbor could be someone who no one spoke to them in days or they could just be feeling a little bit lonely but having that one person reach out to them could be like mean the world to them so just be more today. I think it's just the little ways that you can do it and like showing up for yourself will actually help you show up for your community. And then that just has a, a great influence, right? It expands to like, you know, your neighborhood, your world, like that kind of thing. It just really um, continues to grow. So I think be more today is a really cool, cool concept to just, you know, it's, it's short and sweet too. You know what I mean? Like, it's an easy reminder to say, like, hey, like, just do it. You know, just go for it. Push yourself a little bit. And then you can push yourself a little bit more tomorrow or today. Yeah. <laughs> Name one thing that you wanted. I mean, it could be the Dallas analysis, uh, analytics stuff. But the one thing you wanted to start doing, already started to do for 2021. Um, It's actually, I do want to start using... uh start volunteering my time as a data analyst to, you know, certain organizations, whether it be like, you know, organizations that are looking at women's empowerment or, um, you know, encouraging voters to know their rights and things like that. So I do want to use data to basically like supercharge my activism in a way. So um, one thing that I want to do, like as general, is just, just be more of an activist, like just really try to um, execute and like, uh, not be afraid to step into these conversations. And it's not always easy um, because there's not a clear cut road and these, these kind of matters get very complicated very quickly, right? Um, but I think just doing my small part to show up 
uh, is, is really what I want to push myself to do more and more. And I started doing a little bit of it this year, but I really want to try to um, challenge myself to just do it more and, and offer my services in that, in that way. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, I think giving back is awesome. And I'm sure you'll find a way to incorporate into all you've done. You've done that so far in your, your entire life. So it should not be a problem for you to find a I'll way. I'll just to sing my data reports There now. you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'll bring it all together. Just bring it all together. That's it. That's it. Uh, any, any final tips you want to share with aspiring fashion designers, uh, people who are interested in the Resistance Rival Chorus, um, or anyone who is interested in doing uh, data analytics like you or anything <laughs> that's out of the box like you? Because again, I think a great representation um, holding it down. I would say definitely. Okay, I would definitely say for anybody who's thinking about getting into fashion, there are more opportunities in fashion than you know. So it's not just being a designer. It's not just being a stylist. There are people who are doing technical design, people who are doing advertising. So um, just look at the breadth of what's involved in fashion. If you do want to start a fashion line, I would say learn learn on somebody else's design first <laughs> and then start your own thing. You know, it's always good to make mistakes somewhere else kind of thing. So, you know, learn somebody else's design first. I did not do that, but it's so cool. Um, so <laughs> say learn somebody else's design. Um, in terms of like the resistance survival chorus, Honestly, everyone can sing along. I would encourage everyone to go to Spotify and look up the Resistance Revival Chorus. Our album is called This Joy. Um, and you can listen to it there. You can also, um, you know, get, go to our website and find like some swag that says like Joy is an act of resistance and the name of our chorus. So, um, and hopefully once we actually, the world opens back up, um, you'll see Instagram will usually have all of our events and where we're performing. Um, so I would encourage everybody, if you just need some kind of moment to just take a breath and some really like encouraging, um, uplifting and thoughtful music, go to, you know, find, find the album online it's called This Joy. And for anyone interested in data analytics, I mean, I went to the program Galvanize. And so I would say look for those kind of programs and, Honestly, the, the cool thing about tech is that so much of it is available for free. And that's why I mentioned education being free. There's so many avenues where you can learn data analytics for free. There's tons of YouTube videos. All the software that you need to actually do perform the coding is usually free. And so it's, it's a market that's accessible because the more tech that's out there, the more that you have people playing with it, it's just the more advances that we can make in terms of technology. So it's actually surprisingly very um, accessible in the sense that it's free. A lot of it, a lot of the knowledge out there is free or very low cost. So I would say go for it if you can. And it, it transfers over industries. So you could use it in fashion, you could use it in health, you could use it in, in uh, gaming. So it's just, it's very um, uh, very, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Chantel, where can people follow you, uh, learn more about you, uh, your website, and all things related to you? Oh, um, well, my IG handle, that's Instagram. That's what the kids say, right? IG. <laughs> it's um, at Chantelet NY, so I've kept that little persona. It's S-H-A-U-N-T-E-L-E-T. 
A-L-E-N-Y. Uh, so you can go there to just see more about like my resistance revival course stuff. Uh, the clothing, I still have my clothing line up actually, but I would send you to trimnotions.com because that's where the business is. You can learn a little bit more about our business and the services and our partners. So um, Trim Notions, T-R-I-M-K-N-O-W-T-I-O-N-S.com. Hopefully you'll put that in a little little you know thing underneath or whatever <laughs> um but yeah so you can find me there www.trimnotions.com and um on idea at chantelay and why and the resistance survival course has their website resistance survival course.com thank you so so much for being a guest on episode 46 of the one today's show you've made 46 the number for the next four years <laughs> <laughs> so we appreciate thank you for having me and i just realized i do have cho swag on i think that you ah, have your cho swag. i got my ring so ring. there's that ring there we you go know, i'm representing i'm representing that's a 99 thank you for having me sean this is awesome like no you've been doing great Folks, the quotation for today is not uh, by accident. Uh, ben Jenkins, remember that box everyone's trying to put you in? There is no lid on it, like Chantel showed you, and she shared her whole story. There's no lid on the story that you guys can have for your lives, right? Make your passions, your interests, put those things together and make it what you want it to be. We go to school and they're, they're taught, you know, we're taught that we have to do these things based on, you know, what you major in, what we minor in, and that kind of thing. And that's great. But the world is changing. You can do what you want to do. You can find your path. You can find your way to make money and still make sure that you're fulfilling your, your life's worth and your life's vision uh, and be happy doing it. Um, life is short, like you said. So get out there, do what you want to do, make it work, put the work in. It's not going to be easy, right? Like you said, put it on someone else's dollar first. <laughs> and then when you're ready to make moves, make those moves. And, you know, we're going to continue to support Black businesses and support everyone who is doing great things for Black History Month. So uh, we salute Chantel for doing that. And uh, we will continue to have episodes for Be More Today show every single Monday, as always. So if you want to go on there and subscribe to our pages on all platforms, we're on everything podcast-wise right now. And if you want to go on our website, bemoretoday.com, check that out as well. Uh, if you want to send any emails to me in particular... Be more at number two day uh, at gmail.com is that tag. And if you want to send some Chantel a little message and you love the show, or even me saying a message you love the show, we will appreciate that as well. The Worst for Life podcast comes out every single Wednesday, folks, as always. So continue to watch that and follow us on all media platforms as we move forward. Excited for 2021. It's going to be a great year for us. So just continue to stay inspired and we'll keep doing our thing that we do every single week. As I always say, have a good day. Have a good night. Have a great life and continue to take yourself to greatness to be the best version of you. Peace.